Hello, and welcome to Frame by Frame, a song-by-song analysis about legendary progressive rock band King Crimson. Come and join us in our test of discipline. Greetings, comrades. We are back once again. This is Ryan, as always, and joining me as always is Avery. Avery, how's it going? Not bad. How are you? Doing all right, doing all right. I know you're getting your wisdom teeth pulled soon. Uh, very, very, yeah. very lucky. I wish I was getting mine pulled soon as well, but that's that's still a work in progress. I, I am terrified. Oh, I'm not. I'm like, get these out of me right now. Like, I've never been under, I've never had a procedure, but I'm like, get these things out of me because I think the moment they go away, the moment my like health will improve overall. So I'm hoping. Yeah. Like for me, like my, my wisdom teeth aren't really causing me any actual pain, but one of them is fucked up and like they're coming in sideways. So yeah, they have to come out and I will not be able to smoke weed for a week. So I made tinctures today with wax. Those uninformed, that's THC concentrate. We'll make a bonus episode where you can teach our users how to do that. So. Yeah. <laughs> so so this week, um, as you guys know, we, we skipped over a particular track um, that is we'll let you know to get to this track, The Night Watch. Um, we'll tell you what we're going to do with that song um, at the end of this episode. But for now, let's focus on the, I believe this is the end of side one. Or no, no, it's not. Yeah. No, it's not. Or- Oh. It's about halfway through side one of Saros and Bible Black. Yeah, that, I, you know, I actually have this album on vinyl, but mm-hmm. I just, I haven't really listened to any records in ages. Yeah, I think side two is just uh, the title track and Fracture. I mean, those are like two 10-minute songs back-to-back, so it makes sense. Mm. But what is your opinion on The Night Watch? I actually really like the song. Like it's it's different from everything else on this album. Like there's not really any room for improv or anything like that, but it's it's really interesting. I I, I like the melody and I think the the subject matter is an interesting choice too. Like it's very different from what Palmer James wrote for all his other King Crimson lyrics where he focuses on life as a musician in the 70s you know and like relationships and groupies and that sort of thing but in this case this song is about a Dutch painting from 1642 by Rembrandt and I I guess this painting is known uh, Wikipedia says three things there's the size um There's also like the use of light and shadow. And it also says the perception of motion and what would have been traditionally a static military group portrait. Oh, like describing the painting? Very, yeah. And it's a very strange choice for a song. Like he was just moved so much by this painting that he was seeing 330 years after it was made. Like, like, think how but much. Another thing I, I think is like, you know, we could kind of compare this to Peter Sinfield and his his lyrics and his writing style. 
he's written about historical events even like i mean with lizard and prince rupert yeah like he just didn't really write about you know like rock star life he's just hippie stuff i'm i'm sure peter simfield went to art museums too oh yeah would you say this is palmer james most crimson-esque lyric uh you know, I I'd say it it might be definitely the most reminiscent of of Sinfield. Yeah. Like it's, I'm thinking, like, did he possibly take inspiration from Sinfield and think, I want to try writing a song kind of the way that guy did, just see how it goes, just like a sort of writing exercise for him. Um, Maybe. not from not from what I was able to pull from this or at least the little bit of research i did um i don't know if it was a direct inspiration i think it was a case that what you said is that palmer james probably just saw the painting and was just very moved by it and so yeah he's just like i just want to write about this and then he wrote about it um but real quick most yeah. people most people know this painting as the night watch however it's not the official name the official name is Militia Company of District 2 under the command of Captain Franz Bannock, uh, COCQ. I'm not sure how to pronounce that, but that is apparently the official name of it. They're also known as the Shooting Company. That's a of, bit of a mouthful. Yeah, so people just call it the Night Watch because I think it's just easier way yeah. of describing it. Um and I'm not an art critic, so I'm not going to really uh, critique the painting. Um, I see it as a painting, I guess. Um, it's definitely more interesting than um, some other paintings of the time. And I know Rembrandt is um, considered one of the all-time greats. But I don't know. I, I personally i guess if, if we're gonna get into like art preference and like painting preference I, I like a lot of abstract art um i just like stuff that yeah you can there's sort some of, really cool abstract art out there yeah and i just like personally just speaking i enjoy when you're able to derive your own meaning out of something rather than it being there for you but that's beside the point um yeah, I mean, for me, I, I prefer art that's, like, I, I enjoy a lot of, like, abstract and surreal art and art that's more focused on more, like, individual people. Like, I I honestly, I as much as I like this song and The Night Watch is, is a gorgeous painting, I'm like, it, it's a really weird subject matter for the song. Like, I, I don't... It's just not really, like, emotionally moving. It's trying to be. Like... Uh, unless maybe, like, he's just... It, like, he saw the painting and then it just kind of struck him, like, one of those thoughts where you see, like, an old photo and you're like, like, all these people are dead now. Like, all this time has passed and, like, people are still people. Like, those kinds of thoughts. Yeah, it's very possible. Um, yeah, I'm not sure the idea behind this from Palmer James. I mean, again, this is credited to Fripp, Palmer James, and Wetton. So I'm not sure how much collaboration lyrically this was between Wetton 
and Palmer James. It could be more Palmer James. Yeah, I don't see Wetton. any any Wetton in these lyrics. But he is credited, so he must have done something. But who knows? He could have helped out. Yeah, with I'm, the music. I'm guessing a compositional compositional credit. Like it's very it's very possible. Writing the music. Um, and this song is actually was released as a single. I think we mentioned it in the Great Deceiver episode that this was the A side. So somebody wow. at EGM or Atlantic or Island or whatever thought this song was worthy of being a single. And I don't know about you, but there is no way in hell this song would ever get played on any radio station ever. Yeah, no. Like it's and like just... that weird intro, no chorus, like all just so many lyrics. Like, it's a very wordy song. Too wordy. And, you know, I'm actually kind of surprised, like, yeah, like, I'm surprised that they played it live as often as they did. Like, it wasn't, it wasn't a staple, but they, it seems like they, they actually played this more than Great Deceiver. Because I think they just couldn't get that song live to sound as good as it did in the studio. But Nightwatch, if I'm correct, um most of it or at least the studio perform the studio album version i believe is taken mostly from a live performance and then wet yeah and i I believe that wasn't that live performance actually on like like the night watch album or i like i I I just remember reading something about hmm because I listened to the yeah, Nightwatch. like something about them like redoing the the intro because the Mellotron tape ran out or something like that. I maybe because I did listen to the Nightwatch version and it's very different. It's it's very much not the same performance. I think. Um, mm. It's a yeah, like I I noticed there even just even like just differences of like slightly different guitar notes. Like he played like three notes, let's like different at one part or something. Yeah, apparently the Night Watch, the intro was taken from like the the Amsterdam show, but I believe yeah. the I believe the rest of it was taken from somewhere else. I think um, I'm not specifically sure where, mm. but but yeah, it's one of those cases where it was yeah recorded live and then they threw in. The, the vocals later um and i think the studio or at least the version on here is just kind of weird because to me it's it's mm. obviously that it's like t- spliced and taped up from quite a few different performances and versions and some studio work you know vocally and instrumentally so i feel it's like a little bit of a hodgepodge because when you listen to live versions it flows mm. a lot smoother and is much more solid as yeah, a piece. It does. But yet the album version is just not that at all. It feels like this weird stitched up version of it. You know, it's like if you tried to, it's like mm. if you tried to yeah. play, let's just take like a basic drum beat. It's different if you just play it the whole way through than if you like chop it up and then try to stitch it together later to be the same thing you know what i mean but yeah i've never been a huge fan of this song um i've come around Mm. a little bit um though i could not 
shake this idea that I think the Night Watch is just trying to be Exiles too. Like from the intro, like the intro is the exact goddamn same. Mm. If we're being honest, it has the same type of like ominous intro with Bruford doing the symbol stuff. Yeah, yeah, you're it's, right. It's you're building, right. but they both go into something different, obviously. Um, like to me, Nightwatch is almost yeah. like them trying to make exiles without Jamie. But, hmm. um, but my two biggest issues with this track really are the the lyrics and the vocals. I know we talked about the lyrics; they're not necessarily bad lyrics. Like I feel like in some ways they're some of Palmer James' best lyrics because they're just written agree. very well. It's just it's a little too wordy. And the vocal melody that John Wetton decides yeah. to use to sing these, it sounds like he's just trying to catch up and that he's always slightly behind. Um, or at least in the, the Star Wars and Bible Black version, it's just, for some reason, it's... Yeah, it's I mean, I, I like it, but... Yeah, I can see that. You know, there was... There was actually... Yeah, like... I, there's been several points in my life where I enjoyed singing, and um, one of those points uh, a couple years ago, I, I I remember trying to teach myself how to sing this. It was really hard, just because like there's so many so many lyrics to memorize, and like the melody itself is a little a little difficult. Yeah. Like it's very wordy. He has quite a bit to say about this this painting. Yeah, a little too much to say, I think. <laughs> like, I don't know. It's just a lot of stuff, and and again, the way Wetton sings it, you know, he just slurs his words all the time, so yeah, you can't really understand yeah, what he's saying. Like, I love when he starts. I love when he starts going shine. You know shine yeah shine i love that and i wish that was like a yeah. repeating. i wish that was a repeating motif throughout the song but oh that would um, be gorgeous and for some reason the only line that sticks with me is uh in guitar lessons for the wife i don't know why that one just stuck with me because i remember it mm. um but it's one of those it's one of those songs that even if i stare at a lyric sheet a bunch of times when it's listening i won't remember the words yeah, there's just so many. It's like like sometimes that that just happens like Yeah. Yeah. I, like one example of that or I think a great example of that would be a lot of like The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway. Just another band, but that's a very 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 wordy album. Yes. And there's like certain lyrics that stick out to me, but like carpet crawlers, I'll use that as an example. I love that song. The lyrics are beautiful, but if you were to ask me to recite it, aside from like the chorus, you know, like you've got to get in to get out, I'd be like, vile mannered supermen, salamanders. Uh, the crawlers cover the floor in the red oak corridor yes. for my second sight of people, people more lifeblood than before, than before. they're moving, moving in time, time to a heavy wooden door yeah. where the needle's eye is winking closing on <laughs> something i will say the difference i think with uh gabriel and the lamb 
is that I think Gabriel was a stronger of like vocal melody writer. So I think he was able, even though that album is wordy and there are quite some other Genesis songs that are wordy, like Epping Forest and Get Him Out by Friday. I think he oh, was- Oh, why, why didn't I use that as an example? Epping Forest, that's like, yeah, that, that's the song I don't remember a goddamn word of. Like I only remember the old fashioned Staffordshire blend, that line, because that's used as the, the name of the Genesis shitpost group for whatever goddamn reason. Yeah. But yeah. I think, but I think Gabriel's able to make the words fit better. But I think that's because, um, from what I would, from what I used to know, he was a he would write the words to like the instrumentals, so he would know how the songs would play out, and then the words would fit in. Whereas I guarantee you, Palmer James wrote these lyrics without knowing what the hell the song was. Yeah, and yeah, that's Wetton, exactly what they did. And my guess is Wetton's like writing credit is him trying to fit it in. Yeah, so yeah, because what, what this line it's a bit more King of a Crimson displacement. Did, yeah, like Palmer James would write the lyrics and send them to them, and then they would they would write around that. Yeah, and I think that's part of why it being too wordy kind of hurts it a little bit. Yeah, I, I think you know Genesis might be a bit unusual and in that regard if that was their process where the music came first and then then the lyrics for such a lyrically heavy song like usually usually the lyrics come first well genesis to me were always music first but <laughs> this isn't the genesis podcast as we have <laughs> we've had to say that multiple times yeah <laughs> But I mean, they are connected. They have yes, one. They have very, they have very... one musician that directly connects them, which is great. Yes, Phil Bruford. Yes, and I've heard I've heard Phil mention King Crimson before. I've heard Tony Banks mention King Crimson before. Yeah, so. yeah. Like there's some some like some documentary where he says something about like his exact words are like big cr- King Crimson chords, something about that. Yeah. <laughs> and and the story is that when they were doing Trespass, that um, they hung, like, up in the studio, they hung up the album in The Wake of Poseidon. Oh, Though wow. I, think, I think they tried to change that to say, no, it was in the court, not in the wake. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure it was in the wake. Because you listen to the title track in the wake and then listen to something off of Trespass mm-hmm. and the connection yeah, yeah. obvious. Much, yeah. Like Stagnation. Oh, yeah. There's some King Crimson this and that. But in any case, that all comes back around to, like, I don't know, I guess both bands at the time were having issues with two wordy issues, or just issues with words. A lot of these 70s bands had such issues with words and lyrics and making them work. Yeah. Like some bands, it was a case of they had really good lyricists who wanted more lyrics in there, or bands who just didn't know how to write lyrics at all. Like... As another offshoot, Camel. Like Camel's never yeah. been a lyrical band. It's just it's not in their DNA. No, they have some yeah. good. They do have some good lyrics here and there, but it was but that's an exception to the rule. So yeah. Whereas I think King Crimson, it was a case of they would have talented people writing words. Yeah, like with with King Crimson, it was like they they started as like lyrics were a, a massive like major. Like a main focus with uh, Peter Sinfield being like behind like all the 
the creative concepts and everything. Yeah. But then as time went on and the relationship between Fripp and Sinfield fell apart, like by the time like Fripp did this whole thing with like the Larks era, like he didn't want to deal with all these lyrics anymore. Like this is this like I'd say like the only other song from this era that I can think of that has like a fair amount of lyrics would be like Fallen Angel. But even then, like this this has more. This has more lyrics. And I, I mentioned this already, but like there's no real like there's no real room for improvisation much, but Well they they have a little bit. Yeah. Like a tiny that, bit. Yeah, that like TV. Thing yeah, I was just gonna watch, say, like, where it they, has a... they do the improv, then they go into the night watch. Fripp essentially does Frippertronics at the start of that. Yeah, it, it mm-hmm. has it has that vibe about it because even he'll do like he'll do like the swells with his volume knob and everything, which is really yeah. cool. Um, yeah, like Night Watch, I used to like not like the song at all, but I have come around. Like it's it's fine. It's not one of my favorites or anything. I think there's a good song there, but I think it's just too bogged down by like having too many ideas and like connections to older Crimson tunes, deliberate or not, that I think make it difficult for me to really appreciate it. Because like if we take, say, Fracture, for example, which there are some direct comparisons with that track and I think both Lark's tunes um fracture very much does its own thing yeah whereas night watch i think is very connected to exiles but i don't think it does enough of its own thing to stand out from that in my opinion like exiles like exiles is the big ballad until starless it's the big ballad and it's gorgeous and i think night night watch was them trying to do that again but it's not different enough to stand out but it's not similar enough to just be a ripoff yeah and i'm just thinking now like that comparison to exiles like that becomes even more even more apparent like with that that tv performance and an improv leading up to the song but at least in this performance, the camera didn't just focus on Wetton the entire time. Yeah. The fucking, like, Windows Vista movie maker special effects. Hey, it was 74. Like, that was cutting edge, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I, I, I will say this song definitely has one up on great deceiver and lament in that it features more david cross i was just about to mention that yeah and he's great this is this is where he finally like like you're listening to the album and he's like hey i'm here too yeah he he like he he has like a really great violin part in the song oh yeah mellotron is fantastic too oh yeah the the softer tunes are much more his domain where yeah. he gets to really showcase himself where the brick wall has to like step aside so that this this man can show us his 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 talents um and that's the best part of night watch um and i and I've, and with some of the other tracks on this record when he gets the shine it's it's just really nice to hear yeah because you really get to hear frips 
concept with adding the violin into King Crimson as that sort of replacement for the saxophone as sort of like a half step towards him just getting another guitar player. Yeah. Really? Um, But it adds that extra like melody and just that kind of nice delicacy on top. Yeah. Like that's kind of what, what King Crimson did instead of having a keyboardist or like a dedicated keyboardist, like most prog bands. Yeah. Yeah. Like they would play keyboards when their instrument couldn't fit in for one reason or another with Mel and Ian and now David. Um, But then once Adrian came in and it was just do guitars, no more keyboards. They just went away. Well, that's actually not true, but I'll, I'll talk about that later. So, um, (laughs) but like, yeah, this has the trappings to be a really great song, but for me, it just misses the mark. And I know that's not the most popular opinion. So I know a lot of people like Nightwatch. I get why, but I just think Crimson have done better in this sort of ballad department. I guess this is the album's ballad, I guess. Yeah. But I like Fallen Angel more. Yeah, that that song tells a, a pretty clear story. And and this I listen to it, I'm I'm kind of just like you know, like it, it's like the poetry and the lyrics and like the literary devices he uses in, in his songwriting are, are really great. But at the same time, I'm thinking like, what, what's so, what's so great about this particular painting? Like I've seen it and, and like, it, it is cool. It's impressive, but there's nothing really emotionally moving about it like there's nothing really like emotional and dramatic happening like I've seen paintings that that are a lot more emotional like this one's really fucking morbid but it it just came to mind but like the it was like some some European painting where like the guy like just killed his son or whatever and like he's like holding his him in in his arms like his arms or his hands or whatever and then like that like the guy's facial expression is just like so powerful and like you, you see that you're like whoa or like that's deep man yeah <laughs> Like the scream, that's another one. I, I was like, that came to mind as I was describing this horrifically morbid painting. <sighs> but like, that's that's another one where, like, yeah, like the emotion is there, and like the emotion kind of like that's what you see. Whereas, yeah. like, this is kind of the night watch is more of like a still life. It just. Yeah. Like it, it just a, a bunch of guys in in the military, just a bunch of bunch of people and like it, it it's an interesting snapshot of of like that life and that time period but i i can't really imagine like going to a museum and then like that's the picture like that's the painting you go home and, and write about yeah i mean there's probably some context we're missing i'm not sure yeah but I'm sure there um is. but yeah with with paintings that make you feel emotions oh um there was one that it was done based on an, an Edgar Allan Poe story. I can never remember the name of it. I think it's Telltale Heart, but I think the, the plot of it is. Oh, um, yeah, the Telltale Heart. Yep. 
uh, the guy. Is it the guy who's laying in bed, but he has like the fake eye. And so when he sleeps, he doesn't close it. But like the other guy like peeks through and sees that and it just like haunts the shit out of him. I, uh, I, that might I not be Telltale Heart, but the, I know that's a post story. Yeah, like the the main thing with the Telltale Heart is like the guy kills the other guy, and then Barrys is still beating hard under the floorboards, and then the the sound of the guy's beating heart drives the dude insane, and then he confesses to the murder. Yeah, yeah. But we we are talking about such happy things in this podcast. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, I I know the Telltale Heart. That's a great one. I'm just trying to think of the um, the one with the, like the fake eye or whatever. Okay. Yes, it was the Telltale Heart. I had to to double check, but yeah, with the with the eye um, that was like haunting him. Because I think it was like a fake eye, and then he dies, or though no, he murders him because of that, and then the heartbeat under the floor, which you said. So yes, there was a specific painting that I wasn't able to find. Because I believe it was an illustration that was in my um, the book that I read it in in middle school at the time. Hmm. And it was like this realistic portrait of a guy laying in bed, but like the door slightly creaked open and it was just on his eye. And it was like and and it was just freaky. But but yeah, like art can definitely. Can definitely uh, move people, I think, you know, it's a visual medium. And so I think all of our visual perceptions are different and some things we like to some things we don't. Like I mentioned abstract art, I'm a big Jackson Pollock fan, but I get he's not for everybody. And I totally Mm. understand that. So, and I feel like it's a case of this, like Rembrandt, we don't really get it, but Palmer James saw something in it. um, And I think that's what's important is that it meant something to him. Um, Yeah. But... But yeah, any... I, I mean, I'm just thinking sometimes it, it's like sometimes like things impact us in a certain way and like we can't really can't really explain why. And yeah. like sometimes that's just for like, you know, like memes or just dumb jokes. Like you just something's just like just indescribably hilarious to you or whatever. But sometimes like you'll be listening to music or or just looking at art and then it's like there's just like something that stands out to it and then you try to explain it to other people and they're like they're just like what and I think that that's kind of the case here like I, I guess Palmer James saw something in this painting that that we don't yeah I would say if you're talking about like why modern like why the things we find funny as like you know, millennial zoomers or whatever. Um, the only thing I could gather in my little research into it, why like the memes are so the way they are. I think it's, it's just that the world is so absurd and doesn't make any sense. Yeah. It, it's just, memes it's reflect not it, really, and we're it's not to really laugh at like it. memes in general that I'm talking about, but like, like i i'm active on twitter now i wasn't in the last episode but if anyone wants to follow me egg trungo e-g-g-c-h-u-n-g-o and i i retweeted my my two favorite tweets 
One of them I actually sang on an episode of this podcast, the dog in a trench coat, Eleanor Rigby one. Why is that so funny to me? I don't know. Like, and I'm just thinking, like, the hilarity of that tweet. Like, it just, there was, like, some emotion that Palmer James was feeling about this painting that is on the same level as my reaction to that tweet, but just an entirely different emotion. Yeah, who knows? Who knows? <laughs> but any... yeah, did I mention I made weed tincture today? <laughs> yes, you did. Yes, you did. <laughs> so any final thoughts on the Night Watch before we call it? Um. Yeah, you know, we haven't talked about Bill in this at all. Like he I mean, is, Bill's just being Bill. Yeah, like he he doesn't really have like a major major part in this. Like that's like that's just occurring to me. Like he didn't like he didn't get a writing credit. Nope, not this time. Yeah, like he just kind of stays in the background to make room for all the words. Yeah, because like. He, yeah, he doesn't do too much to stand out in this one. He's just yeah. doing what he normally does, which is fine. Yeah. Um, yeah, because it's like in, in The Great Deceiver and Lament, like that's where that's where Bill really shines. And I, I think it's kind of like now it, it's David Cross's turn to have like the center stage instead of Bill, like for those, those tracks of vocals. Mm-hmm. Sounds about right to me. So, but we'll 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 talk about Bill more. There, there. Trust me, there's plenty with Bill to talk about. But, yes, there is. But we'll get to that later. So, but yeah, I think that's gonna do it for us this week with the Night Watch. So, thank you all so much for listening. We we always greatly appreciate it. Keeps us keeps us doing this. Um, as Ava already said, you can follow them on Twitter at eggchunga. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Thrack94. So, and you can always email us at framebyframepod at gmail.com with any questions, comments, or concerns, or just overall trivia if you just want to talk to us. So we, that would be, that'd be a lot of fun. So for next week, since we didn't cover We'll Let You Know this time, we're going to cover We'll Let You Know this week, however, next week, but... We're also going to talk about Trio, The Mincer, and Styles and Bible Black. So we're going to group all the improvisations together in one episode. And we'll probably use that episode to talk about this era's improvisation as a whole. But we'll use these tracks as sort of the basis for it. Because I didn't think we could get much content out of each one separately. So... But anyways, we'll see you next week for the Starless and Bible Black improvisations. So until then, bye bye. Bye everyone.
our country right which country